Welcome to the Boil Dow Coffee Club Podcast, the meeting after the meeting where we talk about our experience living sober. We don't speak for Alcoholics Anonymous. This is only our experience. We have no monopoly on sobriety. If you don't like our approach, that's okay. There's lots of ways to live and lots of ways to live sober. This works for us. I'm Don. Hey, Don. Hey, y'all. I'm Sam. Sam! You sound a little echoey. Well, I'm sitting in an empty office, Don. <laughs> That's interesting. You know, I've been reading the Tao Te Chung as my daily uh, meditation every day. Oh, no, that's a reditation. I love that. <laughs> as to become learned, gain daily. To obtain Tao, reduce daily. Reduce and reduce again until all action is reduced to non-action. And you're like reduced down to nothing in that house. You had a big yard sale yesterday, and I saw photos of moving van hauling off a bunch of your stuff. It's been crazy. Yeah, uh, Tuesday they uh, the the movers came a day early, and uh, that made us scramble a little bit more. But uh, they took everything that's going to Palm Springs, and uh, and then Friday we had a yard sale preview. Uh, which was kind of fun. So that was a nice little soft opening to a yard sale because I haven't done one in forever and I had no clue what it was going to be like in COVID times. Yeah. Um, and then we did what the did yard you do? sale Saturday morning. Did you only let a few people in at a time? No, we weren't going to try to crowd control like that, but I was like, I did not get much sleep uh, Friday night wondering what Saturday was going to be like because I, again, I just had no clue. Uh, and it turned out I was I was super happy. People, oh, uh, we, we put up a sign saying masks were required and almost everybody complied initially. You know, you kind of sound like you're coming from what I like to call the fifth dimension of existence. <laughs> <laughs> and Is that because so there's an You're, you're echo, like in the spiritual echo, realm. Echo. I, you're, you're, a, you're a gas giant. I have exceeded your progress. That's what it is. I'm now a spiritual gas giant. <laughs> no, Don, I did want to tell you, though, something. I don't pick up a chip anymore for this because of restarting, but June 22, 2003 is when I, uh, or June 21, 2003 is when I had my last drink. Um, uh -huh. So June 22, 2003 used to be my sobriety date until I restarted in uh, 2012 for poppers and diet pills, which we've talked right. about that on many episodes. But um, that's right. How many? How many years did you have when you restarted? Over eight. I was I was approaching nine, and so you know, and that really really sucked having having to yeah. to choose. I, nobody made me start over. It was a it was a choice I made. To be um, honest with yourself, I had to. You know, because if I had, once I got that clarity of, wow, I cannot tell the people uh, who matter to me that I'm sober and be telling the truth, I, I had to start over. You know, for a while, I fooled myself about that. Because if I wasn't honest about it, then I would have gone out. I would have gotten, I, I would have separated myself and not been connected to the people that I need to be connected to. Also, but also, it wasn't alcohol that you were starting over. No, it was it was the alcohol. poppers and diet pills, and uh, and over the counter diet pills, no less. It wasn't um, prescription drugs or anything, but it was one of those things that I found when I told myself that I'm not going to do these anymore, 
and then would do them again. Uh, I, I could not be honest with myself when I said I was not going to do them anymore. And so well, that's why ask, for me, it's not sober behavior. So what happens to you when your old anniversary comes around? So, I mean, incredible gratitude at this point. Now it stung the first year or two because of that, that sense of, Oh my God, I lost time. Now, I heard, um, you, I've heard you talk about it before. On yeah. I mean, it, it, can, it, it, it still it was more than stung. Well, I mean, it can still be, you know, ego can still take a blow during those sobriety countdowns at roundups and stuff like that. Hmm. But this past one, let's just go with what just happened. This past week was 17 years without a drink. And the thing is, alcohol is what kicked my ass. Every single drug that I ever picked up before I got sober, I was able to put down. But alcohol was the thing that I could not stop and stay stopped. And, and, and it really made my life miserable. And so I am so happy. I'm so grateful that I have not had to deal with that again for 17 years. Uh, and that is, is, is a huge thing for me. Yes, I started over. Yes, I got honest in 2012 and I restarted because of the poppers and diet pills. Those turned out, hey, what do you know? I'm an addict. I thought I was just an alcoholic. Uh, you know, <laughs> That's like yeah. al alcoholic is to addict as eggplant is to vegetable. Um, <laughs> so, and so, like I, like I said, it stung when I started over, but it was necessary. And, you know, eight years, I celebrated eight years in March in COVID. So I haven't picked up a chip, but um, so I'm incredibly grateful today that I'm sober, I'm clean and life is, um, Life is good. And you didn't lose all that time when you started over. I mean, yeah. I know that we keep count, but the, 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 the chips and keeping count of how long you're sober, it's a blessing and a curse. And, it, you know, it's great when you're, if it's your first time through and it works. It was really powerful for me to have the uh, days add up. Mm -hmm. But if I, and I never have in sobriety, gone back out and restarted. So there were times that I wanted to in early sobriety, but just the accumulation of the chips were one of the things that was helping me stay sober in a way. It can be really was, powerful. Well, yeah. I, I don't want to lose, you know, that I'm not going to get drunk, you know. So that's well, a good part. But a bad you know, part is if you do go out, they're an obstacle or, or some kind of shame on yeah. it. And in fact, we really only have today. You know, just like an alcoholic, it, it takes an alcoholic to get through to an alcoholic. Yeah. Um, it's the same thing for those of us who have relapsed in recovery. Um, there are people that I know that have relapsed uh, who have really strong recovery today. And we have a language that we can talk to that right. someone who has not relapsed in recovery just doesn't quite get. And one of those people said to me is about the, that, that perception of lost time is that you have at, at the time, I don't remember what it was, but I'll say it for today. I have 17 years of experience in recovery. I have eight years sober continuous Mm -hmm. But I have 17 years of experience in recovery <clears throat> and right. that, that I can easily hold on to. Well, 
we've got to pull our guests into this conversation. We do. Introduce yourself. Hey, everybody. I'm Jim, recovering addict, Greensboro, North Carolina, originally from Philadelphia. Lived down here since 1984. That's when I moved here. And I've been here a while. How many years is you, that? 36 years I've been in North Carolina. Yeah, well, you've been in North Carolina as long as I've been sober. Because when I first got sober, I thought you were 94. I remember you as a newcomer, Don. Yes. And you helped Wait, me. Did you just say Jim was 94 years old when you first got sober? Yeah, he was 94. He, uh, Jim I did a lot of heroin and it slowed down my aging. <laughs> you know, so uh, that's why I look so young. <laughs> Maybe that explains Keith Richards, too. Right. <laughs> my brother, you didn't know that. I had no clue. I know, pickled. Well, yeah, so, so you were in AA. That's why I wanted to get you in with what Sam was talking about, because you're pivotal in my sobriety and were a member of Alcoholics Anonymous for a long time, but then moved to NA. Do you hold, do you have, what are your thoughts? how that all took place. My first meeting in recovery was an NA meeting, a place called Plymouth Meeting in, outside of Philly. I've always, I've always identified as an addict, always. Not a lot of NA meetings, so we went to NA and AA. And then uh, when we moved down to Greensboro, NA was really in its infancy. And I tried to go to NA in this area, but it just wasn't for me. So I started going to AA in 1986, around there. And then um, I stayed in AA for 31 years, right? So my mm -hmm. first five years were NA, NAA, then AA for 31 years. And, uh, and then about five, six years ago, my wife, who's also in recovery, joined NA. And I went to a couple meetings with her. And I said, oh, my God, this is wonderful. What a beautiful fellowship. It had changed, it had grown, and I loved it. And I decided, you know, because always on all that time in AA, I always felt, I mean, I knew I was an addict, you know, but I played, I, you know, I said, I, I uh, honored the group conscience, identified myself as an alcoholic, you know, at every meeting, but felt it wasn't the truth. You, know, you, were, it, you were filtering for AA. Yes. For the singleness of purpose of AA, which is what I've counseled people to do that are, yeah. are, that have a problem and and want to come to AA. Just say you're an alcoholic. It's a you know it's okay yeah. if alcohol was one of your problems. Right, and when you come to an NA meeting, you call yourself an addict. You know, mm -hmm. so you honor that too. So in my mind, when I would hear the word alcohol, I was able to know that. That is all mood-altering substances, you know. That's not just alcohol for me. You know, I have to stay away from anything that alters my mood. So I was able to make that happen in AA, you know. So it worked real well. When I would give my talk, though, you would clearly say, wow, this guy is really an addict, you know. And I wouldn't talk a lot about drugs or all that, but, you know, my experiences would tell you that. When I you know, jumped back to NA, you know, I felt like I was really home. You know? Yeah. Okay. It spoke to your condition. That's so 31 years in AA and now 10 years in NA is what uh -huh. my recovery adds up to. So is that do the math here? Let me 41. see. That was 41, 41. 
But you didn't start over with one just because you went to N.A. You still had the, all the sobriety. Well, I did start over with the steps, yeah, just because the format is different. Mm-hmm. I thought, uh-huh. if I'm really going to be a part of this, I need to start over with the steps, and I did. So, uh, Yeah, you did the steps again, or did you – but do you say that you have – did you say that pick a start over chip oh, in no, N.A.? No. no. Okay. You pick up no. a – they're a plastic poker chip type thing. You know, they're not, they're not a metal chip. Mm. And it, it's just what you're saying is I am joining NA. It doesn't necessarily mean you're a newcomer. Yes, I did pick up one of those. Just to say I'm here, I'm joining this group. Oh, I see. Uh-huh. Gotcha. Yeah. yeah. Sam. You know, Jim, I really relate to, the, um, to what you were talking about, about uh, not sharing about drugs um, in AA meetings. Yeah. You know, one of the things when I looked back on stuff and there are several things that were in play with my starting over and then doing the diet pills and the poppers. But one of the things was these are not things that we talk about. Right. And the people that I was hanging out with were purely AA. And though uh, NA has not been the fellowship for me either. What happened was I met some men in crystal meth anonymous. And Uh though meth is not part of my story, Meeting these men is what got me connected to them and the epiphany of, oh, crap, I, I have screwed up here. Yeah. Uh, and that um, the ability to share in Crystal Meth Anonymous is an interesting thing because they'll ask folks to, uh, as we go around the room and introduce ourselves, um, there are Crystal Meth addicts who will say, I'm a Crystal Meth addict. And then there are others of us who will simply say, I'm an addict. Yeah, and uh, it, it's been a really interesting experience to that's to do that. Really yeah, you know, and I believe too. You know, it's I've often I've thought a lot of times about the difference NA and AA. I read somewhere alcohol is the oldest known drug, right? So we are yep. addicted to alcohol. You know, so mm-hmm. I've always viewed us all as addicts. We're all addicts. It's just a different substance. There's people in NA, there's recovering addicts in NA where their drug of choice is alcohol, you know, mm-hmm. but they view it differently than they do in AA and they view it as an, another drug of addiction and they stay away from all mood altering substances. Well, a, a big thing about NA too is not to actually talk about the substance, isn't it? That's right. Good. You're right. Don't talk about the drugs, you know, talk about what you're going to do about it and about, and the focus on recovery. You know, I think you could talk about, you don't, yeah, they don't want people going in there and, and triggering everybody and having, a, you know, telling war stories and all of that. I mean, that's not good in any fellowship, you know, but uh, there isn't as much, there isn't a lot of focus on it. You're right. You're right. Whereas in AA, we, we tend to talk about going and taking a drink and, and, you know, and I must admit, you know, I get a little um, uh, caught off guard from time to time when somebody mentions specific alcohol, drinking whiskey or drinking rum, yeah. Yeah. but our literature has whiskey in it, yeah. you know, and, and things like that. But, you know, people do talk about it, you know, but it's not, and I think they put that in there just because they don't want people in there boasting and egos flying about how much cocaine I dealt and I worked with the, the, I shipped it to Cuba and all of that, you know, they want yeah. people getting arrogant and crazy about it because there are people like that. So they just put a kibosh on it, you know, but you know, when people tell their story, they talk about, 
drugs, they talk about what the consequences of drugs, what drugs have done to them. You know, they may not get into a specific drug, but, you know, they're talking about drugs in general mm -hmm. and what it did to them, you know, and, and what happened and how they are today. Right. So, Jim, what's your, so what happened to you when you gave up? Now, I know your story. I've heard it a bunch of times. Were you in the hospital the last time that you drank or used? I was in a, a tree. Uh, you know, Don, I added it up and I was in treatment probably a total of two and a half years, two to two and a half years in, in treatment. One Drinking was, and using while in treatment. Uh, yeah. Well, the <laughs> last one, I actually stayed eight months and they gave me a pass two weeks before I was to be discharged. And I used on the pass and came back and didn't tell them, you know, mm. so I did most of my time in there. But the other one, yeah, the other was in a state hospital, Norristown State Hospital, the alcohol program. Yeah, that was crazy. You know, I got put in with a lot of junkies from Philly and, you know, it was on. I was not ready to stop anything. So I'm wondering for somebody listening that's at the end, what was going on inside of you where you said that this is it? I cannot do this anymore. I am going to give up. Don, I have a videotape in my head of that last day, those last moments, you know, when, when I decided, you know, and it has helped me in recovery, my whole recovery, you know, because whenever I've gotten a little thought about anything that's not good for me, you know, I think about where the shit can take me, you know, and I go back to this moment and I'll describe it to you. You know, I was sitting in somebody's apartment. I, I used to shoot drugs, you know, heroin and meth on and off, you know, for years. And for some reason, I had stopped doing that for seven years before I got clean, you know. And then the last week I was out there, I started shooting heroin on and off for seven days, you know, heroin, then, then meth, then heroin, then meth. And I said, I cannot do this anymore. I, I can't take it, you know, because prior to that, I was pretty much just drinking at the bar and smoking pot, feeling like shit every day, feeling horrible. But it was those IV drugs that last week that got me to the point where I was sitting in somebody's apartment. There were drugs on the table. It was in the morning. I hadn't slept. There, there was a bottle of vodka there. I remember it. And I reached for the bottle of vodka and I said, God help me. That's all I said. And my hand came back for somebody that hadn't slept and was out of his friggin' mind from drugs. You know, all of a sudden I felt this sense of peace come over me. It, it, it was a miracle. The sense of peace from total agitation and suicidal. I was thinking of killing myself to this sense of peace. And this thought came into my head and it was the war is over. I remember having that feeling. The war is over. I felt a calmness and I laid down mm. on a mattress and slept for about eight hours. And I had the phone number of somebody in NA in my wallet. And I called him. He said, come on over. I went over to his house and he said, I've been waiting for you. Uh, woo. And, uh, you know, that was the beginning. That was it. That was how it happened. It was funny though when I was sitting there, not funny, haha, but funny in that, you know, when I was sitting there, 
thinking of suicide, I was taught by nuns as a kid, uh, raised Catholic, taught by nuns. I had this vision of Sister Mary Magdalene, who was my third grade teacher. And one day she addressed the class and she said, she was really bizarre, crazy. We called her Little Hitler. And she said, class, if any of you ever commit suicide, you're going straight to hell, right? I mean, a friggin' third grader, right? But I remembered that. I remembered it. So when I was sitting there thinking of suicide, you know, or, 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 or thinking of as the way out, I remember having a vision of her in my mind of, you'll go straight to hell. Man, I'm already in hell, you know? Yeah. Um, this is hell part two, hell revisited. <laughs> it can't know? get worse than I, this. This shit can't get worse. And even if it does, I didn't want that, of course, you know. So yeah. Yeah. I did. Suicide wasn't an option. Said that little prayer, God help me. And it opened the door. And that sense of peace, it, it was a friggin' miracle. It was what I needed, though. You know, it was what I needed to go to that meeting that night and to pick up that chip, you know, and to say, I'm here. And, you know, I knew after a few meetings, I knew I was never going back. What, but that was not the first time you'd been to meetings. It was the first sincere time. I had been to meetings in the treatment centers. First sincere time. That's the key. They would bring people in. So I had been meetings in there, but the first time when I'm, you know, out at large, that I ever went to a meeting. Love it. So that moment hit absolute surrender and a sense of peace. This, I'm not going to do this anymore. What did you do to make sure that stuck? Like I said, I called the guy, went to, went to his house. He said, I've been waiting for you. He became my first sponsor. His name was Lee. I asked him right then to be my sponsor. I was afraid to be alone, so he would let me sleep in a sleeping bag on his living room floor. And on the weekends, especially weekends, were really bad. Because mm-hmm. I, I, I had a shitty little job working as an orderly in a psych ward, right, at a hospital. You know, but the oh. weekends, I wasn't working, and uh, so he would let me sleep on his floor, you know, because I was afraid I was going to use, you know. And it started like that. And he would tell me, Tell me what to do. And he did. You know, he said, this is what you need to do. You need to go to a meeting every day until further notice. One of them needs to be a a step meeting. You need to pray daily. You need to uh, ask your higher power to keep you clean in the morning and thank him at night. You have to give back. You have to make coffee at meetings, clean up, do that kind of thing. You know, and then later on, you'll be able to do more service, but you got to do service. You got to give it back because you can't keep it unless you give it away. That's all the same as AA. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, a lot of it. Mm-hmm. You know, and NA honors AA in the, in the front book of, their, of the book Narcotics Anonymous. It says we owe our very existence to AA, you know, because they allowed them to use the steps and traditions and other other parts of their literature i mean they have this beautiful passage in the front of the na book about we owe our lives to, to aa it's beautiful Did it you, is beautiful when you were getting sober hanging out in that guy's house sounds like you're a pretty crazy dude did you ever rip the keys out of his piano <laughs> i thought of it <laughs> he actually had a keyboard so you know 
I thought they may be a little tougher than a piano, but <laughs> I fantasized about it, but I didn't quite get there. You did that, didn't you, Don? <laughs> I, I, Don you know did what? that last week. Oh, did, I know. <laughs> yeah, okay. but that's just the way I play. But, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, the thought of having a newcomer crashing in my house and what could ensue is a little – That's uh, that guy was really giving back. Yes. I love to, to, to allow play. it. Yeah, I haven't talked to him in years, but I tried to call him and I couldn't get up. I couldn't find out where he lived. But, uh, yeah. you know, I know when I had, when was it? I think when I had uh, picked up my 20 year medallion, I called him to tell him and thank him, thank him again, you know, because uh, uh, I really don't, you know, because when I came in, I didn't trust anybody. I didn't trust a soul, but I trusted him. So it really started with trusting one person. That, that was my end. So I believed that he was only going to tell me stuff that was good for me and that would help me in my recovery, you know, that he cared about me, which makes it a lot easier to take direction when you really believe that other person, you know, has got your best interest in mind at all times. And he did. So the, the teachable part, oh, my God, you know, what an advantage I had because I was teachable, you know, because – Somebody who had been there before me said, you know, this is what worked for me. Maybe it will work for you. And I did it. And it, and it did, you know, it did. And they're believable. That person who's been where we've been speaks that language that we can hear. Right. And we can believe them. Passing it on. Yes, sir. You know, one of the things that you said was talking about the weekends and how crashing at his place was so important for you because of weekends. And yep. while I didn't, uh, I didn't crash at someone's place, I still remember that the weekends were the worst part yep. of getting sober because, you know, Monday through Friday, I had a job as well. And so it, my, I had this routine of get up, go to work, come home, change clothes, go to a meeting, go out to eat with friends. Yep. That, was, that was what I did. But then Saturday and Sunday would come and, oh, God help me if it were, there was a holiday. I didn't know what to do with me. And so I really needed those people who had been around for a while and knew what to do to scoop me up and give me the guidance and and take me with them and and whatever. I really get that. It's so important to share too, when you have thoughts of using or drinking or, you know, the last real craving I had, I I was clean maybe six months. And uh, I remember, I think I was living with my mother I remember waking up thinking, oh, my God, I'm going to use today. I'm going to use today. And I called my sponsor, and he said, there's a noon meeting. Get to the noon meeting and share about it. Went to the noon meeting, asked God to keep me clean that day. Went to the noon meeting, shared about it, left the meeting, ran back to my mother's place because I felt like I was still going to use. Called him again. He says, there's an 8 o'clock meeting. You know, go to that meeting. Went to the eight o'clock meeting, shared about it, still had this intense craving of wanting to use. You know, came back to my mother's place, like held on. Thank God it happened to be on a Friday night and there was a midnight meeting in uh, in NA. And I went to the midnight meeting, the third meeting I went to that day, I shared about it. And after that meeting, the craving left. It left, you know, and that was the last time. Because, I mean, it was so evident, you know, that, I didn't want to use, my higher power didn't want me to use, you know, but I had to take some damn action here. 
you did. You know, and, and was opening the door and letting other people know where the hell I am. Absolutely. And one of the things that I got to point out, because you, you said that so you went to the meeting, you called him, you went to the meeting, and then you went back to your mother's house and you called him again. Yes. This was back before there were cell phones. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it took some commitment. It wasn't just pull the phone out of your pocket and make a call. Yeah, mom, could you get off the phone, please? <laughs> but, you know, I mean, I really, I've listened to other um, old timers talk about the early days of sobriety and, you know, how they had to carry a quarter with them all the time in case they needed to make the phone call and, and all that. Kind. Mm -hmm. I mean, we really do have a, a killer convenience of having a phone in our pocket yeah. and most of us just don't use it. Yeah. That's true. Yeah, even though it's a uh, small phone, it's still heavy, oh, just as God. heavy as one of those old Bakelite phones. It's made right. out of uh, it's made out of black hole material. <laughs> it's really hard to pick that thing up, Jim. I, I was sober about two years. The last time that I had a craving that was so strong that I felt like I was going to get drunk. I, I was terrified of it, and that was when my brother-in-law and sister-in-law died in a plane crash and you helped me through that i remember clearly sitting at your house i mean you were like come over here and and talking and just helping me go through it and i didn't drink ultimately i got through that situation without drinking what was a time you've been sober a long time what was a time that was like a crisis in your life jim i watched you get cancer oh have treatment you were asked to speak oh at a, a convention and you were the main speaker and there were hundreds of people there and i saw you walking up to the podium like you were going to the scaffolding to be hung <laughs> Please tell me you were like walking along with an IV pole or something. I mean, no, 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 no. It was just that you had had the diagnosis and and oh, you weren't even in treatment. Oh, I didn't at that have point. the surgery yet. You had you didn't have the surgery yet, and you didn't know if you wanted to even talk. Okay. And you said that the guy who was running the convention said, "I think you're going to be fine. You know why? I have a higher power that's going to take care of you." Oh. <laughs> You yeah. and you went ahead and, and did the uh, talk. So I know that there's things that have happened to you in recovery where you have fallen into the program to carry you through it. And so the question is, what is something that's happened to you in recovery where you've found that, you know, you maybe weren't going to drink, but you didn't know how you're going to get through it? Yeah, well, the one you, you, one of the, what you just mentioned was one, you know, was being diagnosed totally by, I mean, it was a miracle how that happened. You know, I mean, I could go into that miracle, but, and I. That and was, I, no, dude, that was, a, why, t describe that and why is that a miracle? Okay, as quickly as I can. One yeah. morning I threw up, there was a little bit of blood, just a little bit of blood in the, in my, what I threw up. And I went to work. Of course, Marnie, my wife, said, oh, that's nothing. So I'm glad I didn't listen to her. Because <laughs> I probably wouldn't be here today. It's Husbands don't love. ever listen to your spouse. <laughs> it's It'll just save a your little, life. It's just a little blood. 
<laughs> it, no, I mean, it was really very little, right? But anyway, I went to work, and the doctor at work, you know, I told him, and I said, I have a meeting at 1 o'clock. He said, fuck the meeting. You need to go see your doctor, right? So I went to see my doctor. Um, he was out of town, so I saw the PA. Told her I was a, a recovering uh, alcoholic, you know, and had a, a lot, pretty much time in the program and all of that. And she said she couldn't find anything, but she sent me to the Wesley Long ER so they could get a ultrasound of my esophagus. So if anything did happen, you know, they have a baseline. Went there. As I'm waiting the results of the ultrasound, the doctor came out and said, your blood work looked fine. You know, let's see what the ultrasound says. Well, the ultrasound said, you know, there was a small mass in my right kidney, right? The thing about it, the miracle part about that was the ultrasound technician, she only had orders to look at my esophagus, but on her own, she said, I'm already here. I'm going to look at his kidneys too, even though it wasn't ordered. And she doesn't do that. She just had the thought that I got to do this, right? So the radiologist comes out and said, we found a little mass on your right kidney. And he said, someday you might want to thank the ultrasound technician because she really did that on her own. And 99% uh, of them never would have found that. But she's so good, she found that, right? So they found it. Then I got the CAT scan. They decided it was cancer. Had to have, back in 1999 when that happened, you had to have your kidney removed. So I don't have a right kidney. So um, what I'm saying is it had nothing to do with the speck of blood when I threw up the oatmeal that morning. Oh. Nothing to do with that. You know, it was just something that that technician found on her own. And every doctor I've ever told that story to said, that's a miracle. After the surgery and after I was healed a little bit, I went back to Wesley Long Ultrasound. I found her, right? And I'm walk and I know her name and I'm walking towards her. She's backing up because she wondered who is this guy in the ultrasound room? <laughs> I said, I just want to thank you for saving my life. She started to cry. I started to cry. And she said, Thank you so much. She said, All I hear are complaints. You're the first one in a long time that's ever thanked me for something, you know. And I left, you know, and uh and like I said, doctors have said that was a miracle that that just happened you know, wasn't meant to be found or anything like that. And, you know, kidney cancer, you know, people don't find it unless you start to have symptoms of blood in your urine or something else. And often it's too late, you know, so. Uh, mm -hmm. By I was the time they find it, it's too late. Yeah, but they found it so early that it hadn't even left the kidney. So I didn't have to have chemo or anything. So that's a miracle that happened, you know. Not, you right. know Jim, that, Jim, let me ask you this, though. Okay. Um, so years before, if you did not have that experience, that, that much time and experience and recovery under your belt, would you have listened to the, uh, the doctor at your facility when you just mentioned that and said, all right, fuck the, the, the appointment. I'm going to go see my doctor now. I might have, you know, I've always been sort of vigilant about my health. Uh, okay. Not so much an active addiction, though, you know. So, first off, I wouldn't have had a job to have a doctor, <laughs> you know. So, um, you know, yeah, probably I would, it would have been missed and, and you know, might have killed me. Yeah. Well, I mean, so what I'm, what I'm getting at is that I have definitely experienced in my own recovery that 
there's that still small voice type of thing, that willingness yeah. that I've got now yeah, that I, I will, yeah. I, I, I see the opportunities when they're presented to me I a like lot that. more than yeah. I used to. Yeah, that's right. That sounds good to me, Sam. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I also wanted to say this, you know, the tears have already dried up in my eyes from you telling this story, but my, my eyes were tearing up and I wanted to say this and I've never had the opportunity to it. And I am a Star Trek fan. So I just want to say, damn it, Jim. <laughs> <laughs> Are you the doctor? You're doctor. What's his name? No, uh, <laughs> just call me bones. <laughs> Okay, right. <laughs> Dr. McCoy. I got you. I love that show. <laughs> I think it's incredible that you sought her out to I think that is an example of the uh, experience learned working the program that it's worthwhile to seek somebody out and thank them. Just like it's worthwhile to seek somebody out and make amends when I've harmed them. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I don't mind mentioning briefly about the job. Yeah. There's another place that you experience working the program yes. in a crisis situation. Yeah. I lost my job about five years ago, job of 28 years. It caught me off guard. It was a total shock. It took me a, a few years to grieve it, you know, to get through the grief about that. And I, you, you ended up retiring from that, right? Yeah. Yeah. No? But I, um, I used the program, you know, I mean, my, I had a sponsor, you know, I was so, I felt traumatized by it, you know, and uh, got right in, did a fourth and fifth step just to keep my head above water and, um, you know, shared about it and about my feelings, not pointing the finger at anybody, you know, in meetings, um, mm -hmm. just talked about it, prayed about it you know, work the steps and, uh, eventually, and it didn't happen as quickly as I wanted it to. Eventually I got through it, but, uh, that was a real challenging time for me. I probably would have used if I had not had the program, you know, if I were mm -hmm. not plugged into the program, uh, because it was one of the worst things that ever happened in my life. So, uh, so what exactly did you do when you say you prayed about it? What was your prayer? What, God, what were you doing me, to, to get God, over this? Help me to get through this. It was a simple prayer. It wasn't anything complicated. It was, God, please help me get through this and survive this. I mean, it was down to sort of feeling, you know, I needed to pray to survive. That's like at the beginning. Yep. That was at the beginning. Yeah. Cause I, didn't I mean, that, the, the same as when you first got sober, the prayer that I said when I first got sober was, I can't get through this next hour. Right. Well, it was like the prayer I shared earlier, you know, about God help me, my, my last drinking drug, you know, uh, God help me. And it was the same kind of prayer, you know, God, please help me get through this, you know. And I said that 50 times a day for a long time you know, throughout what? the day. How long? Know? What do you mean? How long? What? How you said a long time. How long? I mean, I mean, I prayed every day for probably about that, probably a year or two. That's interesting because I know I've had sponsees that have gone through crises and I've gone through a crisis and asked God to help me through this and, you know, to remove this, take this away. And it's not on my time. 
what can you say to somebody like who is going through a crisis, ask God for, uh, for help, and nothing changes? Like, what's going on? Well, it's a lot of time. I mean, it's not on my terms, right? And sometimes when I've had to turn things over, over and over again, you know, all I can say is, you know, I think as an addict alcoholic, you know, I want immediate results. You know, I want, I want the fix right away. You know, but th- some things just don't happen like that. Some things take time. If I'm really turning it over and letting it, trying to let it go, you know, that I'm also letting go of when I think something should happen or what, what the outcome should be, you know, I'm really trying to release it and, you know, trust my higher power, you know. Yeah. You know, I have, uh, I've shared on the podcast before that uh, I carried around a little notebook with me when I first came into the rooms because I was hearing these little gems that, uh, oh my, oh my God, that's amazing. I got to write that yeah. down. And, and, and surprisingly, I heard them a lot. So I realized I really didn't need to write them down. And now <laughs> I'm glad that I actually got them cemented in my brain because I don't hear some of these all that often anymore. They and change. one of them was, um, it takes time and time takes time. And that's exactly what you're describing uh, there. And, but what I really love is that though you had ex- more experience working this program when you went through this, you still did the same things that you did in early recovery. That's right. And it still works. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't, you know, run, run out. I mean, it's, that's what I've learned, you know, and that's why I still go to meetings today. I still pray. I'm, I still work the steps. I do all those things that I did when I first came in. Nothing's really changed. I'm that's consistently what I hear from people who've got uh, long-term recovery is they, they, they do what they did early on. Yeah, same thing. And I try to keep it simple, you know, I mean, not complicate the hell out of it. <laughs> you don't think we can complicate things, Jim, do you? No, not at all. <laughs> Let's not louse this thing up. There you go. <laughs> Thank you, Dr. Bob. <laughs> <laughs> well, one thing that I've gotten from you, Jim, over the years was that I need to do all the parts of the program. Oh yeah. Yeah. Because I think it's being sober for a while and start feeling like, well, do I really need to go to all these meetings? Let's back off on it. Maybe I'll go to, you know, keep going to meetings, but I'm going to quit. I don't like doing this morning prayer and meditation. I'm going to back off on that. (laughs) I've heard you say that you've experimented with. So can you talk about that? Yeah, I did. You know, I would, you know, I always related to the saying, he's looking for an easier, softer way. You know, I I could relate to that totally in that. Do I really have to do it all? You know, can I just do what doesn't make me too uncomfortable, you know, and, and do that. And, you know, I played with the program probably for the first seven years. You know, I would back off on my meetings. I wouldn't pray. I wouldn't call a sponsor. I wouldn't uh, share in meetings. I wouldn't work steps. I would only do part of those things. As a result, I suffered. I suffered like crazy. And then, you know, usually what would happen is my back would be against the wall. And I'm thinking, you know, what am I going to do? You know, I don't want to drink or use anything. So then I would go to 9090. And I would do a 90 and 90 meetings, which I recommend highly to get a re-foundation in the program. 
dot back again. Several times uh, in the first seven years of, of recovery. And at seven years, I thought, why do I suffer like this in recovery? You know, why don't I just follow the directions, you know, <laughs> and do everything? You know, what a novel <laughs> idea. Yeah, just looking for the easier way. And, you know, it's stuff like holding on to stuff for real long, you know. It's uncomfortable to share that in a meeting sometimes, you know, and maybe doing that a little quicker. I'll tell you today, so at seven years, I decided, no, I, I don't want to live like this. I don't. I'm all in. I felt I still had a f- one foot in and one foot out. You and canceled your reservations at seven I years. My reservation, yeah. <laughs> and uh, I was all in at seven years. Now, let me, let me be honest about this. Even today, I struggle. You know, I struggle with calling the sponsor. You know, I'll hold on to shit in the meeting and, and won't share it until my best. You know, I still do that. But I think what hap- it's happened is I'm aware of it. And maybe it doesn't take me as long to, you know, fire up those parts of the program that have stalled out. In fact, I know it does because it's a, it's an everything program and you're going to get back as much as you put in and putting it in is, is doing all those aspects. Sam, are you going to do 90 and 90 when you move to a new city? You know, I had every intention of doing that pre-COVID yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, it was one of the things I I, I want to plug into the community. That's there. how you plug in. Yeah. Um, it's a little different now, but I think that it's still likely going to be how it works for me. There are tons of Zoom meetings there. I'll definitely go to meetings. Yeah. Now you could put on a hazmat suit and and find some meetings. You know what I mean? <laughs> I mean, really? I, I'm 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 not sure that I would go to any length like that to get out. Yeah, of course I would. Uh, <laughs> There's something hopping around on your mantle behind you. You might want to duck. Is it an owl? Ooh, there we go. It's time for our old timers question. Who you calling an old timer? You. That's what happens if you don't drink and you don't die. Although Jim's more of an old timer than you are. That's right. But Jim yeah. will agree. You sound that- a little like Gabby Hayes. <laughs> <laughs> Let me tell you something, Shammy. No matter how long you've been sober, it's still one day at a time. Thank you, Gabby. (laughs) You can post us a question at boiledowlaa.org. We have a question from Casey in Charlotte, North Carolina. Casey says, should gender be removed from the 12 steps when referring to a higher power? Ooh, controversy. <laughs> controversy. You want to take that uh, one, Gabby? <laughs> yeah, let, let me throw out <laughs> let me throw out my ideas and then uh, and then we'll turn it to you and see what your take is on this. This is a well, I it sounds like we're really talking about should we rewrite the 12 steps? Should we rewrite the big book? There's something to be said for that. There's something to be said for putting the language into yep. contemporary English, but then there's also something to be said for that's the way that it was written originally, and 
and it has worked. And that's the reason I think old timers are so resistant to any change is because you don't want to accidentally throw out the baby with the bathwater. You don't want to, you don't want to change something and find that it was fundamental. I had the hardest time with this very thing. I remember I was in a meeting and I, it was a big book study group and they were going on about the, the little lady, <laughs> something, you know how the language can be condescending to women. I was raging about it in the meeting and this lady that I had known before I got sober, she knew me and she had about 15 years and she came up to me and said, Don, if I can get sober with the language the way that it is in this book, you can get sober. You're not even a woman. And <laughs> she was like going, you need to get sober. Now it's not the time to be rewriting the big book. So she pointed me in the right direction there. I translated in my head. I mean, any word that's used for God it's not going to describe what the real thing is that happened to me that changed my life. I mean, it's something that's beyond words. So the words are just words that point in a direction. And particularly with higher power, with God, if it's, you know, I didn't like the word father. I had a hard time with my father growing up. Yeah. And it's taken a lot of work in sobriety and four steps and fifth steps to get to the place where the word father is something positive to me because it was negative. And he just, so he had this prayer, it's our father. It's like, wait a minute. I, you know, my hackles are up. That's not a prayer that is going to, uh, that I'll be able to use to uh, connect with a higher power. So the words are words. They point to some other reality. So I just let it go. And I don't think that we need to change the original big book, but we can have things that add on to it. That's my take on it. What about you? Yeah, when I, when I was in AA, you know, yeah, that same feeling about you never change the big book. You don't change the literature. You know, I remember a few people tried it and they haven't been seen since, you know, they're, <laughs> was some unidentified bodies floating in a local river. Nobody <laughs> knows if that was them or not. But it's funny that this is brought up because I, there is a big, there is a different, you know, and, and I think it may be happening in AA too, that it's not important to put a gender on God or higher power. And, and uh, you know, I hear it in the meetings in NA, you know, people say her, people say it. Uh, I'll tell you what, God is used a hell of a lot less in NA than it is in, in AA. Um, it's mostly HP, higher power. I mean, sometimes God of your understanding and all of that, you know, but it's not, it's not really used that way. And I, and I think it's sort of like you said, Don, whatever works for you, nobody's going to be opposed to that, upset about that. You know, it doesn't affect anybody, however you want to talk about your higher power or nature or whatever it is or what gender or lack of gender you want to attach. But I really think it's, it should be done at the personal level. You will feel total acceptance of whatever that is. At least that's my experience around me. 
NA came after AA. Did they change the language of the 12 steps? No, uh, it's I'm powerless over addiction, not alcohol, but nothing else is different in the 12 steps mm-hmm. or traditions. But uh, N.A.'s book was written in the 70s, wasn't it? Yeah, actually, this is sort of a, a little antidote. Um, I got clean in 1979, and I had an N.A. home group in 1980. In our home group meeting, N.A., which is the headquarters is in Van Nuys, California, sent a rough draft of the N.A. text to all the home groups back then. So we had a rough draft and were invited to add a story, invited to edit, invited to add anything we wanted to the book. So it's really a book of the, of the people, of the addicts, you know, they really wow. wrote that book, you know. So that was uh, the first edition was published in 1981. Okay. No, but isn't that cool? I mean, that's yeah. very cool. Very cool. And, you know, I sat down with my, uh, my first sponsor after we had worked the steps in AA, and we started reading NA's text. And one of the things that I found so intriguing about it was that it was a more modern language. Just yeah, the fact it that it was written in the language that I've grown up in. Right. Uh, the use, the, the, the parlance, I guess, the vernacular. There's no boiled owls in the NA. And there are no boiled owls in the <laughs> NA text. <laughs> Aww. So, but, okay, so one of the things I want to note before I, I answer the, uh, the question from Casey, you know, we're sitting here, three white cisgender men, uh, ages 49 and up, two straight men, one gay man. So just to note that this is where we're coming from with, with our viewpoints on gender. But should gender be removed from the 12 steps when referring to a higher power? Uh, You know, one of the things, uh, I'm of two minds on this. Uh, The first one is something that I heard early in recovery, and that is, if if you want to get sober, I can't say anything wrong. And if you don't want to get sober, I can't say anything right. Right. You know, when I first came into these rooms, I, I rebelled at the word God. I hated that. Uh, and I still don't say the Lord's Prayer, and I refuse to. It's not going to happen. But um, the thing that happened was I got willing. I wasn't ready to get sober when I came here. But when I got to that place of I, I want to be sober, I was able to hear what I needed to hear without hearing the baggage or letting the baggage take space in yeah. what was going on. That's been very important for me. And so I still have that, that sense that if somebody wants to get sober, if somebody wants to get clean, that the words are not going to get in the way. Right. But I have also been a, a member of a, a gay AA home group in Durham that had talked about changing gender on the readings and such. What they ultimately came up with was that whoever's reading the tools can do whatever they want to. And if you're reading the big book while uh, they're going through it, if you want to change gender as you go, go for it. Um, I've heard that it has proved rather awkward people trying to do that on the fly, but uh, you know, it, it did allow that space that, you know, use what works for you. Yeah. So it, it is that, that thing that, you know, we've got this uh, just like AA is very Christian AA is also very patriarchal in the way it's written. And that's because that's how English was written then. Today, it's, it's still not uh, in popular use, but it's becoming much more prolific, the, the use of they rather than he or she. 
they for a singular pronoun, but we're still not there. So what we're trapped in with this is the language that the book was written in or the steps were written in. And there may come a time when those things do change. But, and I'm not opposed to the change. I'm not opposed to God not being referred to as he or God not being referred to as God. It's higher power is what we get or whatever it turns out to be. Um, I don't see it happening anytime soon. And I'm also very aware that with my experience, it didn't get in the way of me getting this program acceptance. I had to quit fighting everyone and everything to get sober. And one of the things I had to quit fighting was the big book. You know, I've got a file. It's encrypted and I don't know how to unencrypt it, but I have a file called Sunlight of the Spirit on my hard disk. You've got to give me a copy of that. (laughs) (laughs) It was written in Word that is a rewrite of the big book when I was six months sober. And I I find it probable that that is God doing for you what you cannot do for yourself, Don. It might be good that it's encrypted (laughs) and I can't see it. Well, it's definitely good. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for the vote of confidence, Jim. (laughs) Oh, Jim, Jim, thank you so much. This has been a fantastic visit. (laughs) <laughs> I wanted to say something about higher power. If I Please can. do. You have a minute? Yeah. Yeah, I got a minute. Yeah, because somebody asked me that, you know, how do you find a higher power? And all I have, of course, is my experience on that. And like Sam, you just said, you know, I, I have a lot of God baggage I brought into, into NA and AA. A lot of that. You know, I was raised in a religion where you were a sinner and it was not a loving God, and, you know, God was going to catch up with you, and you're going to have to pay for everything that you did, and uh, very sort of angry conception, you know, so when I came into NA, you know, I went to my sponsor, and I said, oh my God, I don't have a loving God, I've got this angry God that I'm afraid of, and all of that, and he could see how panicky I was about it, you know, so he said, just put that all on the back burner, You don't have to solve that today. None of that. He said for me, he said, make the NA group your higher power for the first year. Because there's a group of people, you know, who are not using and they're a power greater than you. He says, but I do want you to practice in finding your own higher power. And he said, what I'd like you to do, since all that old stuff is not going to be of any use to you, he says, I want you to start out as if you were a little kid for the first time finding a God of your understanding, you know? So I want you to do what we've all heard. I want you to pray in the morning and ask your higher power to keep you clean that day. I want you to thank him at night. And throughout the day, if you come up against anything rough, ask your higher power to give you the strength to get through it. I did that stuff. But I said, I remember saying, Lee, I feel like a hypocrite getting down on my knees and asking my higher power to keep me clean because I'm not even sure God exists. And if there is one, he's angry and I don't want anything to do with him. And he said, just fake it until you make it, right? Mm-hmm. Now, fake it until you make it gets a lot of bad press sometimes. People, oh, that's not honest and all of that. That freaking little saying saved my life, you know, because I went through the motions for a couple of weeks And after a couple of weeks, I thought, wow, I feel better. Things are happening. These coincidences would start happening, which I later found was God's way of remaining anonymous. You know, the the little (laughs) things would happen 
you know, and then I started to look forward to the prayers. And then I felt, I believe I'm going to stay clean. And then after a while, after it keeps working, you stay clean, then you have faith that it's going to continue to work for you. And you have established a relationship with a higher power. So for me, it was starting over like a little kid for the first time, finding that God of my understanding. I just wanted to put that in there. Thank you. Thank you. That's great, Jim. Act as if. I'd like to act as if we don't have to leave. Oh, let's, well, I mean, we can stay another hour or two. I've got <laughs> the only problem is the owl's getting hungry. Thanks for joining us. The Boiled Owl podcast is posted on the 1st and 15th of every month. Visit us at boiledowlaa.org or email giveahoot at boiledowlaa.org. If you want to know more about AA, Google Alcoholics Anonymous in your city or visit aa.org. Please note, Boiled Owl AA is produced by members of Alcoholics Anonymous and only expresses our experience and opinions. It is not endorsed by AA World Services. And Jim, would you care to share a little bit about NA? You can type in any of the Narcotics Anonymous area, office, in the town. So probably Google Narcotics Anonymous in your city would work as well, right? Wow, what a great way to say it. (laughs) (laughs) Bye-bye. Bye-bye.